choir and orchestra. Well, today we return to the Sermon on the Mount. We have concluded the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes reveal to us what the Christian life is. If one wants to know what is a Christian, we see that in the Beatitudes. It is a person who begins by understanding their poverty of spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I am spiritually bankrupt. I have nothing to offer to God, and so I come to Jesus for His grace and His salvation. After the Lord saves me, then I begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness, and then my conduct is changed. I become merciful. I become a person of purity and a peacemaker. So the Beatitudes then reveal to us what the Christian life is supposed to be. As we live out the Beatitudes, then we reveal to the world what Christ looks like. Now today we come to the body of the sermon. The Beatitudes represents the introduction, and now we come to the body. So take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We'll begin reading in verse number 13, and a number of you have heard me teach this while we were at the Mount of Beatitudes in Israel. Uh, the setting is a little bit different, but uh, the Word of God is still the same. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus begins by saying to his followers, you are the salt of the earth. He didn't say you should be the salt of the earth. He said you are the salt of the earth. Now the implication, of course, is that the world is decaying, and we know that to be so, because we see it on a routine basis. Dr. Nancy Percy wrote the book, Love Thy Body, she wrote, the hookup mentality comes out of a Darwinian worldview that treats the human being as nothing but a physical organism driven by physical impulses. No wonder it's creating a trail of wounded people. They are trying to live out a worldview that does not fit who they truly are. We know that we live in a world that is decaying because it is decaying all around us. For instance, as we look, we see that we have a problem with pornography. The world is becoming less civil and pornography is becoming more acceptable. There was a study that was done by Promise Keepers and they said in their study, 75% of Christian men have a struggle with pornography. That's pretty dramatic. 75% of Christian men have a struggle with pornography. Then there's child abuse. 
the most sacred relationship should be that between a parent and a child, and yet we read routinely about parents who abuse their children sexually, physically, emotionally, but they abuse their children. There is corruption, corruption in government. We see it on the nightly news. Corruption in religion is increasingly common. And folks, it is undermining our confidence in the government and in religion. When we have corruption that is constantly before us, then we lose faith in our institutions and that ends up destroying a democracy. Crime, we are aware of the school shootings that have taken place in Florida, in Maryland, in Colorado, and other places. We are aware of the serial bomber in Austin, Texas, and so forth. We could spend the entire time talking about all the sin, all the decay, all the corruption that is taking place in society. But that is not the point. The point is that you are the preservative in this corrupt society. Jesus said you are the salt of the earth. In my mind, because I have been there so many times on the Mount of Beatitudes, it's a lovely place. There is a pasture in front of it, the Sea of Galilee down at the bottom of it. I can imagine Jesus and the disciples sitting here on the mount that the fishermen are coming in from fishing all night and they have their catch and they begin to pack their catch of fish. They take a crate. I think that Jesus is watching them. They take a crate, they put a layer of salt in it, they put a layer of fish in it, they put a layer of salt in it, they put a layer of fish in it and so forth and then they tack the lid on. And then I think Jesus probably turned to the disciples and said to them, Now, you are the salt of the earth. Watching these fish, needing to be preserved, you are the salt of the earth. You exclusively are the salt of the earth. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we need to understand these things if we say we are Christians. Because this is emphatic. What he is saying is that you and you alone are the salt of the earth. You and you alone are the preservative. Don't be looking elsewhere for someone to preserve the moral integrity of our country, of our city, of our nation. Because Jesus said that is your job. That is the job of the Christian, you and you alone. It is emphatic and he also is saying that you are unique because salt is unique. What tastes like salt? There was an elementary teacher asked that question in her classroom. She said, what does salt taste like? And finally a little boy lifted his hand and said, sweat. <laughs> There's nothing else tastes like salt. Salt tastes like salt. So when he says you are the salt of the earth, he is saying that you are unique. Not weird. Unique. So Jesus is saying that this is exclusive to you. It is emphatic. You and you alone are the preservative in this world and you are unique. Now, why did Jesus choose salt? Why didn't he say you are the chocolate of the world? Or why didn't he say you are the sugar? But he said salt. Why did he say that you are the salt? 
Well, first of all, because it is a timeless illustration. There's a quarter of a pound of salt in every gallon of seawater, so there's never going to be a shortage of salt. So it is a timeless illustration. Also, salt represented purity. Barclay wrote, the Romans said that salt was the purest of all things because it came from the purest of all things, the sun and the sea. Because, of, because it was considered to be pure, the Romans offered salt to their God. So when he says that you are the salt, he is talking about your purity. Verse number 8, blessed are the pure in heart. If the world is corrupt, Christians are to be pure. Christians are to be pure. If you are a child of God, you are the salt. He didn't say you should be, you are. You are the salt of the earth. That means that you are to live a life of purity. Another characteristic of salt is that it flavors. I would imagine most of you reach for the salt shaker before you take a bite of your food. You may not need it, but you just put the salt on there. It flavors it. Okay. You are the salt of the earth. If salt flavors, then as a Christian, what should you do? You're a preservative. You preserve that that is corrupt. But you also are to flavor life. Barclay said, Christianity is to life what salt is to food. Christianity lends flavor to life. I think the problem is sometimes that though we are supposed to be the salt of the earth, we are to add flavor to life, there are way too many Christians that are bland. Julian, the emperor of Rome, wrote, Have you looked at these Christians closely? Hollow-eyed, pale-cheeked, flat-breasted all. They brewed their lives away unspurred by ambition. The sun shines for them, but they do not see it. The earth offers them its fullness, but they desire it not. All their desire is to renounce and to suffer that they may come to die. That was his impression of Christians. Oliver Wendell Holmes, wrote, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. Robert Louis Stevenson wrote in his diary, I have been to church today and I'm not depressed. Isn't that a victory? I have been to church today and I'm not depressed. Folks, if you are a child of God, you ought to have the greatest joy of anyone you know. Where you work, where you go to school, there should be a joy in your heart. You see, we are the salt and that means that we add flavor to life. And some of you do. Some of you are, I'm looking out there and I see some of you and you add a lot of spice to life and thank God for you. Because that's what Christians are to do. You bring flavor to life. Another characteristic of salt is that it requires little. It doesn't require a lot of salt. Chuck Swindoll wrote that salt is to be shaken, not poured. 
It doesn't take a lot. I know sometimes that we become discouraged and think we can't do much because, you know, there's so few of us. We're a minority. We can't get much done. It doesn't take a lot. In fact, uh, if you recall, had there been ten righteous people in all of Sodom, God would have spared it. Just ten righteous. Now Abraham started out a little more ambitious. If there are 50 righteous, will you spare it? And then he gets all the way down to 10. And God says, yes. Just 10. When Gideon was assembling his army, he started with 32,000 and God pared them down to 300. The point that I want you to understand is, folks, it doesn't take a lot to make a difference. It takes commitment, but it doesn't take a lot. Now, here's the warning that he gives in verse number 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. In other words, they used it to uh, make roads with. Now, but, but what causes salt to lose its value? Now, that's what he's talking about when salt loses its value. Well, if it is mixed with water or some impurity, then salt is useless. If it becomes mixed with something, it is useless. Okay, if you're the salt, if we become mixed with the world, we're useless. You see? When we become like the world, we are the followers of Christ. If we become like the world, then we are useless. Something else that will cause salt to lose its value is if it's in the wrong place. For instance, this summer, I'm sure some of you will be freezing ice cream and bringing Steve and me a bowl or something, but you'll be making some ice cream. Now, you know that if you put salt on the ice that it helps freeze the ice cream. But if the salt gets inside the canister, then it ruins the ice cream. You have to be in your right place. Otherwise, you become useless to the kingdom. Now, when you're in bed on Sunday morning, when you should be in church on Sunday morning, then you're useless to the kingdom. When you are at the soccer field on Sunday morning, rather than in the church where you should be, then you become useless. You see what he's saying? If we are going to be useful to the Lord as salt, then we are not mixed with the world and we are in the right place. We need to be in the right place. So he says, you are the salt. And then in verse number 14, you are the light of the world. Barclay said that is the greatest compliment that Jesus ever paid to a Christian because it compares the Christian to Christ. All right, so he says, you are the salt. And then he says, you are the light. The implication is, of course, that the world is in darkness. That's what Jesus is saying when he says that you are the light. He is saying the world is in darkness. Stephen Hawking died recently. He was recognized as one of the most brilliant minds of our time. I've read some that he has written. But one thing for our purpose he wrote was this. There is no God. No one created the universe and no one directs our fate. There is no God. 
No one created the universe. No one directs our fate. Atheism is growing in our society, which I find interesting. In fact, it is growing to the extent that it is becoming increasingly militant. So atheism is growing, and it is also growing in its militancy. But I'm reminded of what the Bible said in Psalm 14, verse number 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So we can say that there is no God. The Bible says the fool says in his heart there is no God because you see, ladies and gentlemen, apart from God, there are no answers to life. The philosophers don't have the answer. Dr. Julian Huxley denied God and then he concluded that life has no purpose. Life doesn't make any sense apart from God. If you try to make sense of life and say that there is no God, that somehow we just came together, some molecules came together, an explosion happened in antiquity, and here we are, then life has no purpose. Philosophers don't have the answer to life because apart from God, there is no purpose. Science can't answer the basic questions of life. What are the basic questions that everyone asks in some form or the other? Who am I? Where did I come from? What am I doing here? Where am I going? Those are basic questions that everyone asks. Well, what is the answer without God? If you are not the creation of God, if God doesn't have a purpose for your life, if there's none of that, then there's no purpose for life. So science doesn't have the answer. Politics does not have the answer. Some of you were here Friday night, and I think you probably gathered that by listening to Senator Scott and and Congressman uh, Gowdy that politics doesn't have the answer. It doesn't matter, Democrat, Republican, Socialist, Communist. I I don't care what ism that you subscribe to. They don't have the answer. That's the reason Jesus said that you are the light. And that again is emphatic, which means that you and you alone are the light. There is no light apart from you. The world is in darkness, and you are the light. Do you you want people to have more light, to see more light? You're it. There's not it anywhere else. So you are the light. You are the salt. You're the preservative. And you are the light in darkness. So then we are to shine. Why should we shine? Because that's what light does. Doesn't it? Light shines. I read the story about a a small country church. They were having their business meeting. Must have been Baptist because we love business meetings. But they were having their business meeting. There was a lady got up in the business meeting and she proposed. She said, I move that we buy a chandelier for the church. Well, there was a man got up and said, I oppose that. Well, why do you oppose it? He said, I'll give you three reasons. Number one, we can't afford it. Number two, there's no one here who can play it. (laughs) And number three, what we need here is some light. (laughs) Well, that's what light is to do. Light is to shine. You have not been fired up to fizzle out. You are t- to shine. Now you say, well, now I, know that, I know that our wattage varies. I look out and I see something. I say, man, that's a spotlight out there. I see somebody else and I'll say, well, that's a 25 water. 
And you might say, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a 25 water. Uh, my light doesn't matter. Folks, it's not your wattage that is important. It is shining that is important. It's not how bright the light is. It's that you shine. Let me ask you, what is the most important light in your house when you get up to go to the bathroom at night? Huh? It's the night light. It doesn't have a lot of wattage, but the thing is, is that it is important. It's important that you shine. No matter what your wattage is, it's important that you shine because you're useless if you do not. Look at verse number 15. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. We don't light something and then hide it. We don't light it and put it under a peck measure because you're useless if you don't shine, and so is the Christian. If we do not shine spiritually, we're useless. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, There is nothing in God's universe that is so utterly useless as a merely formal Christian. I mean by that one who has the name but not the quality of a Christian. Folks, if you don't shine, you're useless to God. If you don't shine, you're useless to the world. If you don't shine, you're useless to the church. You're like a stoplight that is not working. When we do not shine where we are, then we are useless. So a practical observation, how do we shine? Because I know you want to, right? Any demonstration will be accepted. I mean, don't you want to shine? I do. I want to shine for the Lord. I want my life to count. I want to be salt and I want to be light. So a practical observation, how do we shine? Well, first of all, you have to be lit. I mean, the, the lamp has to be lit to shine, right? So as Christians, we have to be lit. Now, I mean that in a spiritual sense. I can see some of you smiling out there. I'm, I'm, I'm talking in a spiritual sense that you need to be lit. In other words, you, you need the joy of Christ in you, the light of Christ in you. It's a spiritual thing, so you have to be lit. You have to have Christ inside. Then you need to be set. Look at verse number 15. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, but on the lamp stand. You set a lamp where it can shine and have the greatest effect. All right? As a Christian, you're going to shine best within your spiritual gift. God has gifted you. He's given you certain areas of giftedness. And you will shine best if you focus in that area. I, I don't shine that brightly when I sing. I'm not bad. But that's not my greatest gift. See, So how has God gifted you? How did the Holy Spirit gift you? If you will serve in that capacity, then you will have the greatest effect. So you have to be set. And then you have to be fed. We know that a lamp has to have oil. If it's going to shine, then it has to be fed. There has to be oil. The Christian, if, if you're going to shine, you have to be fed. That's Bible study, prayer, worship, those things. You've got to have those. You have to be fed if you're going to shine. Now, occasionally, the lamp has to have its wick trimmed. Some of you who remember the old kerosene lamps and so forth, you know there are times when you have to go in there and trim the wick for it to shine. 
Did you know that sometimes God has to prune us? Sometimes God has to prune us to get rid of some things because it's keeping us from shining as we should. Now, what are the effects of shining? What happens when we shine? Well, light guide. When, when the lights are shining, it guides. You know, you come into the airport at night and the, the runway is lit. There are lights going down there guiding the plane to safety, to land in safety. So that's what light does. Light guides. Light also warns. There's a pothole and they put a light there to warn you. Now, honestly, you know this as well as I. If we put a, a light at every pothole in South Carolina, we would light up the sky. But it warns, you know, I mean, that's what it does. It guides and it, it warns. Then he tells us how we are to shine. Now look at verse number 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now let's go back to the analogies that we have here. We're almost finished, but I, I want you to watch this. With salt, you're the salt. With salt, if the proper amount is used, you don't notice it, right? It just flavors. It makes the food better if the proper amount is used. What about light? You came in here this morning not looking at the light, did you? Now, I saw a couple of you doing it when I was speaking about light a while ago, but generally that's not what you do. Light doesn't call attention to itself. So salt then is not to call attention to itself if it's used properly. Light does not call attention to itself. It just lights things up. So what does he say about us? He said that we shine before men that God might be honored. Did you see that in verse 16? We shine so that he is honored. There's a verse of scripture that has always spoken to me as a, as a pastor, as a preacher. And it's concerning John the Baptist. And I've always, I would love for this to be said of me. But it said, they heard John speak and followed Jesus. They heard John speak and followed Jesus. You and I are to be salt, not calling attention to ourselves, but bringing glory to Him. We are to be light, not for people to look at us, but to see the light, that they might be led to Jesus. So, how do we apply this word today? Well, some of you need to be lit in a spiritual sense. You need Jesus inside. You see... Folks, some of you are not shining because you don't have the Lord inside. You might have religion inside. You might have baptism inside, good works inside, all those things. But there's no shining. There's no preservative because there's no Lord. So you need to be lit. You need to have Christ inside. Some of you need to be trimmed. You need to be pruned. You need to rededicate your life to the Lord. You, need, you know the Lord, but you got all this crust on the wick, and you need that trimmed off so that you can sign. You need to dedicate anew your life to the Lord. So some of you need to be lit, some of you need to be trimmed, and some of you need to be set. You need to be in a place where you can shine the brightest, and that's in the church. 
That's where we all come together, the people of God, where we all come together and love each other and pray for each other. Some of you need to be in the church. So you need to join the church today to be a part of the fellowship. So what is it for you? How does it apply to you? I don't know. But I know that some of you need to be lit, you need to be saved. Some of you need to be trimmed, you need to dedicate a new year life because you're away from the Lord. And some of you need to be set, you need to be in the church where you can grow and shine in the Lord. Our Father and God, we come to a time of invitation and I ask, Lord, that you'll bless it. I pray, Father, that you would speak to hearts, that you would do that that only you can do, that you draw people to Jesus. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that uh, there will be people obedient to you today. In Christ's name I ask, amen. In just a moment, we're going to extend an invitation. We're going to stand. The choir's going to sing. The staff's going to be at the front. If you're here and you need to trust Christ, come today. What better day to rededicate your life? Just come get it right with the Lord or to join the church. Our doors are open. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please, as we stand together. They sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do. take three or four minutes with you here. Uh, we, three years ago, committed to Project Next, and that was uh, the, the Y building. We bought the Y building, we remodeled it, and uh, we remodeled a part of it in phase one, which is the part where our students meet now. So we remodeled phase one. We had a three-year campaign uh, to pay for that, and uh, then we were gonna go to phase two. So we have come now to the end of phase number one, May the 1st. So here's what I would like to do. I would like for us to extend phase one and ask that you give for another year. As you are, you who were, have not, were, maybe weren't here, but you didn't participate. Because in the three years, we have given, a little, I think a little over $4 million to that project. Our total debt at the church is three million, just a little over three million, total debt. And so what I would like to do is to take this next year and continue to give 
Uh, so we pay down that debt as much as we can. And secondly, it allows the church to find its next pastor and then he can lead in phase two. So I think that it is the, the right thing for us to do that it, it allows us to continue to pay down the debt and then it will allow the next pastor to come in and lead in phase two. Now I wanna show a video, I haven't seen it, but Aaron told me that I would not be disappointed. So we're gonna look at a two minute video and we'll see what it is. It's hard to believe that a year ago this building was a, a gym, a workout facility, and now it's the student center. Um, but more than that, it's, it's become home for us. Project Next was a three-year campaign. Uh, labor, um, prayer, financial contributions, and a strong vision uh, to reach a next generation for Christ has brought us to this point. We all came together for a common goal. The students have really taken ownership of uh, the building and the ministry since we've been here. They really enjoy the, the modern and casual look of the building. Uh, they're so thankful for the, the time and the effort that has gone into everything. And for you who gave up your time and your finances to make it happen just means the world to them. I remember how excited everybody was when we finally started renovations. Um, the old YMCA was becoming something brand new for our students and uh, we were so excited to see progress starting to happen. With the completion of the Student Center, uh, we are finally able to offer a functional space to our students. Instead of focusing on logistical issues, we now have a space where we can pour into our students, uh, disciple them, equip them, and offer them a place to relax and enjoy. As you can see, your prayers and your financial contributions have brought us to this point. However, Project Next is not over yet. Hi, I'm Brian Barnes, and together with Byron Henson, we want to thank you for your generosity over the last three years as you have supported Project Next in such a great way. Together we've raised over four million dollars for Project Next, which is fantastic, and the total church debt is only three million dollars. You might know that I'm on the Pastor Search Committee, and as we have been diligently seeking the Lord's leadership for who will be our next senior pastor, one of mm -hmm. our desires is that our new leader be free to innovate, and in order to do that, we want him to be unburdened by this debt. So what are we asking you to do? We're asking you to join us in the continuation of your pledge for one year. My wife and I continue to do it. I know Brian and his wife do also. So we're asking you to continue your pledge for one more year for Project Next. Good job. Aaron did a good job. Aaron, I don't know where you are, but I am not disappointed. You did great. Thank you. Thank you. That, is, that, that, that showed what I, what I wanted, uh, wanted it to show. So, I hope you'll do that because I think that it, it will really put us, and I want us to be in the best shape possible when the new pastor comes. Uh, nobody cared whenever I came. They just said, you know, just let him work it out himself. But we're gonna do the best we can for the, for the next pastor if it's, 
Okay. Deacon prayer time. On Monday, we have uh, our deacons meeting, and uh, we have a prayer team that meets at 5.30 over in Lindsay on the third floor. If you have any serious needs that you want prayed for, then you show up over there, and our team will pray for you. If you want to take the card that is in front of you and write a prayer request on it, and then Rod, right down here, raise your hand so everybody see where you are. Give it to Rod. He will take it to the deacon prayer team on, on uh, Monday, and then they will pray. Now then, Camp Classic is Tuesday. Looking forward to that. That's going to be a great time. One more thing, very quickly. Uh, I give a financial report at the end of every month, and it takes about 30 seconds, but our deficit at the end of March, the first quarter, our deficit is $247,147. That's pretty strong. That's a lot more than I want it to be because it compares last year to $83,200. So here's what I need you to do. Be really faithful in your giving because we're about to go into the summer months and those are tough months for us. So let me just ask you, be faithful, trust the Lord, and uh, God is going to provide as he's done. But, but do the, and April has five Sundays. So we can, we can uh, if, if everybody gives uh, strongly in, like these deacons right down here, they've said they're going to triple their, their giving this, this month. Didn't you? Or did God give me a vision? Let's all do it. We can all do it together, and I encourage you to. College students, we have free lunch for you over in 1420. Have any prayer needs, see one of these guys with red badges on. They'll pray for you. Let's stand together, and we're dismissed. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, it's a joy to know you and to serve you and to love your people in Christ's name.